Hello and welcome to the Harvard EdCast, a series of conversations with thought leaders in the field of education from across the country and around the world. I'm your host, Matt Weber, and today we discuss how to change the world and how our guest is doing just that. John Wood, founder of Room to Read, once a Microsoft executive who went on an 18-day, 200-mile trek in the Himalayas, only to witness the profound need for books in the hands of children. John, you quit Microsoft to start a nonprofit. What did people think? And honestly, were you scared? Um, yeah, the reaction, yes, definitely to the scared part, because I think in, in our society, a lot of your status comes from what you do. What title do you have? Where do you go to school? What's your position in life? And a lot of people told me I was crazy because I was quitting Microsoft at age 35. I didn't have gazillions of dollars, so I, did, I wouldn't have financial security. Um, so it was a tough thing. And back, you know, in 1999, I don't think, you know, even the whole field of social entrepreneurship was still very, very, you know, little known. There was no Draper Richards Foundation yet. There was no Skull Foundation. And so a lot of people told me that it was crazy. And, and I just thought it'd be kind of crazy not to pursue my dream. The, the, the thought in my mind that, you know, nearly 800 million people can't read or write, um, that's where poverty starts with lack of education. And, and it's, I, I traveled a lot through the developing world. And what I discovered from, through meeting so many people, it's not that poor people were stupid and it's not that they were lazy, it's that they were just born in a place where they couldn't get educated because they didn't have the resources. Now John, for our viewers who may not be familiar with Room to Read, it's grown more than just book donations. It's focused heavily on community partnerships and they've become key to your growth. What is said when you first enter a community, introduce yourself and your vision? Well, let me, I should probably first explain what we do at Room to Read. We're, we're really a pure play. We do education projects in the developing world to serve the poorest of the poor almost exclusively in rural areas where there's a lot of roots, just so many resources lacking. And we do three things. We set up multilingual libraries so kids have literacy and the habit of reading from a young age. We build schools uh, or expand schools in places where they really need larger schools or they need their first school. And then we provide long-term scholarships for girls because girls are often left out of the system in the developing world. The reaction we get wherever we work, whether it be in rural Cambodia or rural Nepal, is really positive because Room to Read comes in and says we, we want to help, but we only want to help the community if the community wants to help itself. And when we build a school, for example, the parents come out and dig the foundation and mix the cement. When we build a library, the parents come out and build the shelves and paint the walls. So it's very much of a community co-investment approach. I think too much of the charity world just does you know these massive aid drop-offs and then the local people have no skin in the game because they weren't part of their own solution. At Rindery, we believe very much in what we call the challenge grant, which is the community is challenged to co-invest alongside us. And if they may not have much money, that's okay. They can still carry bags of cement into the mountains. They can still come out and help dig the foundation of the school. And how does this all relate to local language publishing? Well, local language publishing is a very important component of what Room to Read does because in many of the places we work, there is no children's book industry. And that's why so many kids are illiterate. Again, not because they're you know, not smart or not because they're not hardworking. It's because there is no commercial market for books in a language like Lao or Khmer or Vietnamese or Nepali. And so why is it that 98% of the people in the world today who are illiterate are in the developing world? It starts with lack of mother tongue literature. Room to Read's local teams have gone out and found local authors and local artists and worked with them to create this just beautiful literature that is in the kids' native language. And it's not a translation of a Western work. It's an original title. So a kid in Nepal will see yaks in the mountains and a child in Cambodia might see elephants in the jungles and they can relate to it. And that's super important. As your audience knows, if you can gain literacy in your mother tongue, 
it's much easier to then gain literacy in another language. So what Room to Read is trying to do, we started as an English language book donation program. That's still a component of what we do. But the most important thing we do now is put books in the kids' hands in their native language. Now, some people have likened you to Andrew Carnegie in the spirit of his building of libraries across the country, as you're doing in Asia and Africa. Now, as a student of history, was anything to be learned from Andrew's successes 100 years ago? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, Carnegie's a hero of mine because I grew up with li a library in my small town, and it was built during that Carnegie-esque wave of library building across North America. And I think that's one of the most you know, overlooked philanthropic investments of all time, the fact that we all kind of have just now taken Carnegie's libraries for granted. But if you look at the library system today, the busiest public library in America is in Queens, in New York, the highest, uh, highest proportion of first-generation immigrants. First thing they do, get their kids a library card, say, learn, 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 take advantage of this resource. Our Carnegie idea was, let's do Carnegie one better. Let's do Carnegie one bigger. Carnegie set up 3,000 libraries, took them 33 years to do it. Room to Read has set up 10,000 libraries in our first 10 years. So we're trying to out Carnegie Carnegie, really an homage to him, but it's a very different model, right? The old model of philanthropy was you become an old, rich, white male, and then you start doing stuff at age 70 or 75. What I said at age 35 is let's build a network of people like you and I, of people like your listeners, and say together we can do so much more. So 10,000 libraries in 10 years, we think if we are given a 33-year runway like Carnegie had, we could open 100,000 libraries around the world. John, the new book, Zach the Yak, with books on his back. John, is this your personified autobiography? <laughs> yes, Zach the Yak with books on his back. Zach is like my doppelganger. It's, it's a story I wrote for children, and I had illustrated by a Nepali artist, a wonderful Nepali artist named Abin Shrasta. And the idea was to make our story relevant to children, whether it be a four-year-old or an eight-year-old. And Zach the Yak is this you know, happy, iconic yak who travels to the mountains of Nepal with a couple little helpers and Nepali kids named Manju and Arul. And they deliver books to kids who have never had books before. And this is really a way of making the Runerid story accessible to children um, in the developed world and helping them to understand that, you know, don't take your books for granted. Kids in the developing world would just love to have books. And so the whole theory of Zach the Yak is understand the issue and then understand how to take action. John, Fast Company Magazine describes you as, quote, all heart, all business. What do you think they mean by that? Um, I think the heart part is I, I put a lot of passion, and our team puts a lot of passion into what we do. Um, but the business, but that's not unusual, right? Most philanthropy is driven by passion. The all business part of it is that we're very metric driven. We're very goal oriented. I spent nearly a decade with Microsoft and learned a lot working for guys like Steve Ballmer and Bill Gates. And so at Room to Read, we have a very performance-driven culture. And what I mean by that is anybody can go to roomtoread.org, and they can look at our statistics. We update our statistics quarterly. How many libraries have we opened? How many girls are on scholarship? What's the pass rate of those girls? How many books are being checked out of our libraries? Things like that. And we, we measure those things frequently. We post them to our website quarterly, and then we're responsible, right? We have to then show good numbers. That's what a public company, for-profit company, does. They post their sales growth. They post their revenue growth. We believe in that same accountability and transparency at Room to Read. We post our external valuations on our website so people can go there and see them. And we, we admit what we're not doing right. And we're not, you know, we're not proud of the stuff that we're not doing right. But maybe somebody out there can read that and tell us they have part of the solution. And so we believe very much in a performance-driven culture and also a culture of low costs. In the business world, you have to control your costs. 
in a very, very careful manner, your competitors will, you know, kind of uh, uh, um, underprice you. In the philanthropy world, the charity world, what we're trying to do at Rim to Read is keep our overhead costs low. So as examples of this, I fly on donated frequent flyer miles. We make friends with hotel managers who give us free hotel rooms. Um, we get donated uh, four-wheel drive vehicles from corporations like Lafarge, the big cement company, rather than having to go out and buy it. We get donated office space from companies like Credit Suisse and the Financial Times. So when we open fundraising offices in New York and London, we have nice office space with no cost. John, last question, and very much on this same topic. Let's talk socks. Room to Read prides itself in keeping fundraising and travel costs low, so more donations can go to the cause. And in a video interview years back, you mentioned that you clean your own socks in a hotel sink to save money. <laughs> John, we're in your hotel. I don't smell dirty socks. Are you still doing this? Yeah, that interview was a CNN travel interview, and they were asking me, I was just talking about like trying to keep, keep costs low, and it drives me crazy that the hotels charge you like $8.00. Um, to wash your socks, um, and, and so yeah, I still wash my. I, there's, you know, thankfully my room's packed up here. You can't, but no, I still I try to do everything in my power to keep room to reads costs low. And the reason for that is simple: that more books can get in the hands of more kids, that more libraries can get open. So if the money can be spent on behalf of the children in the developing world, then it's worth washing your socks in the hotel sink, and it's worth going to partners at Goldman Sachs and asking them for frequent flyer miles and. One guy there gave me 5 million miles, so I'm set for travel for free for the rest of the next couple of years. Wow, John, thank you so much for sharing all this. Where can someone find information about Room to Read or Zach the Yak? Yeah, thanks for asking. Uh, Room to Read is at www.roomtoread.org, and it's all heart, all business is a website. There's beautiful pictures of the kids we serve, and then there's also lots of metrics and lots of facts. Zach the Yak with books in his back. You can find information on our website. You can also go to the Republic of Tea, our corporate sponsor, who's selling the book, also betterworldbooks.com is selling Zach the Yak, and we hope, it's a nice model because when people get Zach the Yak for $10, every single one of those dollars goes directly to Rim Reads local language publishing program, so it's buy one, give 10. Buy one Zach the Yak, 10 books get printed in Nepal for the kids there. John, congratulations on all your successes, and we look forward to tracking you over the years. Thanks a lot. I appreciate the opportunity. This has been the Harvard EdCast, a production of the Harvard Graduate School of Education. I'm your host, Matt Weber. Thank you kindly for listening. The Harvard Graduate School of Education, working at the nexus of practice, policy, and research.